Good morning. Um, before I begin, I want to say a thank you to all of the veterans uh, in the room. Um, I had a great uh, experience last night. We were out with some friends and a gentleman who had served um, at the, at, in uh, Vietnam during the Tet Offensive got up and actually uh, said a few words to the uh, people in the restaurant, which was uh, a cool experience. And uh, so for those of you in the room that have served, thank you. Um, Bob uh, is Bob and Bev are on a well-deserved family vacation with the kids and grandkids. Uh, yeah, good for them. I don't know how, I think it's, it's, it's more exhilarating than restful with the grandkids, but they love being with them. So happy for them to get to be away together. Um, I'm going to pray one more time, and then we will jump in. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of your word. And I pray for me uh, that I would listen to you. Um, and Lord, I pray for every person in this room, Lord. And Lord, we don't know what people are going through. And so God, I pray that you would soften our hearts, open our ears to hear from you, not from me, but from your word and from your Holy Spirit during this time, Lord. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. Uh, this morning, uh, if I had to have sort of a big idea for what we're talking about, uh, this morning it's a question, and the question is, who are you listening to? Who are you listening to? Um, if you'll remember back in uh, when you went to school, uh, everybody here had at some point to use the combination lock. There it is. For some of you seeing that picture, brings back some fond memories, you know, going to the gym or whatever. Some of you, it's a little bit of anxiety because you remember the first time you had to switch classes and you're at your locker and you're turning it and it's not, and you're doing the, the, the three turns in a pool and nothing happens. Here's why this matters with what we're talking about. Who are you listening to? With a combination lock, the first turn, it's always you got to do something right, something left, and something right. If you get the first number wrong, it doesn't matter what you do with the, sex, with the next two turns. It doesn't matter. So for you and I, who we are listening to, it's the thing we've got to get right. Because if we get that wrong, then, then the other things don't matter as much what, what we do. So for us, it's getting, who we're listening to is that first turn on our combination lock. So this morning, we are going to look at Ezekiel chapter 13. Bob has been spending some time in Hebrews. This is not a natural segue, uh, and I understand that. But uh, there's a passage that I, that I read and I studied, and I thought, well, this would be great uh, to share with our church. Hopefully, you'll agree with me. Um, the prophet Ezekiel um, was a prophet and a priest. He was exiled to Babylon in 597 B.C. And he's there and he's telling the people in Babylon that are in exile and, the, and the Israel, the people in Jerusalem, that trouble is coming. And he's telling them that ultimately Jerusalem is going to fall. Now, Ezekiel is a book that is filled with hope, but we're going to step into it 
where Ezekiel is, is telling the people trouble is on the way, and they're not listening to Ezekiel because they're listening to false prophets. False prophets. So to get some background on this, we're actually going to look at a verse in Ezekiel 12. Here's what it says. Ezekiel 12, 2. Son of man, you are living among a rebellious people. They have eyes to see, but do not see, and ears to hear, but do not hear, for they are a rebellious people. A couple things to point out. Number one, Ezekiel here is referred to as the son of man. Same as a uh, same reference point they use for Jesus with, with one qualification. What's the difference? Well, Ezekiel they use it call, is called Son of Man, and it's used 90 times. It's an expression of what a human being is. It's, it's, not, uh, it, it's not more than that here. It's used to demonstrate that Ezekiel is a person and that God is instructing him that his creator, God, who's something completely different than a person, is giving him instructions and telling him what to do. Uh, Jesus is referred to the Son of Man. That happens 88 times. Obviously, Jesus was a human being, 100% man, 100% God. And when they talk about Jesus as the Son of Man, it's obviously more than he's just a human being. It's the idea that he is the ultimate representation of a human being. Humanity perfected. This is what enables Jesus to be the one to reconcile man to God. Now, the point of the verse, I want to get back, keep it up there if you don't mind. Uh, the point of the verse is, Son of man, you are living among a rebellious people. They have eyes to see, but do not see, and ears to hear, but do not hear, for they are a rebellious people. Uh, the point of the verse is saying, when we follow false prophets, our problem is that we are rebellious. We want people to tell us things that let us do what we want. We are susceptible. So when it comes to false prophets, it, they almost kind of lead us where we want to go sometimes. That's an important thing as we start, as we look at this. It's not that we're innocent and we're wandering around and somebody gives us wrong information. It's that the Bible tells us here, we're rebellious. We want an excuse to live life on our own and to not do what God asks us to do. Jesus uses this same sort of phrasing about, about the eyes and the ears in Matthew 13 when he's quoting from the book of Isaiah. So this gets us to the main part of the text. We're not going to read the whole thing through. It's 16 verses, but we're going to take it chunk by chunk and unpack it. Um, this is Ezekiel chapter 13, verses 1 to 2, the first part. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophecy against the prophets of Israel who are now prophesying. Say to those who prophesy out of their own imagination, hear the word of the Lord. God is telling his people the truth. And he's telling Ezekiel to tell his people the truth. They did not want to hear it. God knows that they're not going to listen to Ezekiel at the beginning. Here's what I think for us is important. 
Are there situations in your life where God is telling you it is time to speak up? Sometimes it's really uncomfortable. In Ezekiel's case, he does weird stuff. I mean, he, he goes like, he does like little acting things. Um, and he gets, the people don't believe what he's saying. Are there situations that God is saying to you, hey, hey, it's time for you to speak up. You might have an idea in your head of something that you should have done. I have literally thousands of those in my life where I think about, man, I wish I would have spoken into this situation. But most importantly, maybe now there's a situation where God is inviting you to, to step into and to speak into. Section 2, Ezekiel chapter 13, verses 3 to 7. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. Woe to the foolish prophets who follow the, their own spirit and have seen nothing. Your prophets, Israel, are like jackals among ruins. You have not gone up to the breaches in the wall to repair it for the people of Israel so that it will stand firm in the battle on the day of the Lord. Their visions are false and their div divinations are a lie. Even though the Lord has not sent them, they say the Lord declares and expect him to fulfill their words. Have you not seen false visions and uttered lying divinations when you say the Lord declares, though I have not spoken? The Lord tells Ezekiel to tell them, hey, the false prophets are saying this is what God says. And God is saying, I did not say that to you. You know, that, that they're, that's what's happening. They're saying, oh, God says this, God says that. God's like, I never spoke to that person. Uh, and he really, he really detests that. Um, God tells them that the false prophets that, that are, are preaching to them are essentially, mean, essentially meaningless. He says that their thoughts come out of their own imagination. Their thoughts come out of their own imagination. He uses an analogy of jackals among ruins. Uh, uh, if, you, if you go to different places... Um, now, we, my wife and I got to go to the Middle East five years ago, and you'll see, you'll go to places where there's ruins. And these, these sometimes you'll see these, these jackals, feral dogs, whatever, kind of walking around, and they're just picking up little bits of food or anything like that they can find. The point that God is making there is they offer no benefit. Jackals among ruins, they're not repairing the ruins. They're not doing anything in part of community. They're just there to sort of devour whatever little things they can find. They offer no benefit. It said, when talking about the wall, he says, they didn't fortify the wall so that it would stand firm in the battle on the day of the Lord. They did nothing to fortify or strengthen Israel. False prophets do nothing to benefit the people that they're preaching to in terms of preparing them for what's coming. There is, there, there, there's not value there. And again, it really rubs God the wrong way, and that's a funny way to put it, but I think it's accurate. Even though they had not spoken, they say, the, even though the Lord had not spoken to them, they say, the Lord declares. The Lord declares. And where are their thoughts coming from? Where are their thoughts coming from to say what the Lord declares? Their own imagination. We as people who follow Christ have to guard against this carefully for us. 
We do have the indwelling Holy Spirit, and we'll talk more about uh, how to kind of test some things, but we have to be careful that that the things that we're sharing with people that are that we're saying this is from the Lord are from us. We have to guard against that. The third section, Ezekiel chapter 13, verses 8 to 16. Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Because of your false words and lying visions, I am against you, declares the sovereign Lord. My hand will be against the prophets who see false visions and utter lying divinations. They will not belong to the council of my people or be listed in the records of Israel, nor will they enter the land of Israel. Then you will know that I am the sovereign Lord. Because they lead my people astray, saying, Peace, when there is no peace. And because when a flimsy wall is built, they cover it with whitewash. Same idea as Jesus talking about the Pharisees, saying they're like whitewashed tombs. Whitewash is something that you do that uh, it covers up the wall. It makes it look better, but it doesn't do anything to strengthen the foundation of the wall. It's a cosmetic effect, not a structural one. Therefore, tell those who cover it with whitewash that it is going to fall. Rain will come in torrents, and I will send hailstones hurtling down, and violent winds will burst forth. When the wall collapses, will people not ask you, where is the whitewash you covered it with? Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. In my wrath, I will unleash a violent wind, and in my anger, hailstones and torrents of, and of rain will fall with destructive fury. I will tear down the wall you have covered with whitewash and will level it to the ground so that its foundation will be laid bare. When it falls, you will, you will be destroyed in it, and you will know that I am the Lord. So I will pour out my wrath against the wall and against those who covered it with whitewash. I will say to you, the wall is gone, and so are those who whitewashed it. Those prophets of Israel who prophesied to Jerusalem and saw visions of peace for her when there was no peace, declares the sovereign Lord. So the first thing that's really important out of that passage is God says, I am against you. I am against false prophets. So like, if we were to step into that, God would oppose us. There is no way for us to win that fight, ever. Think about times when you fought against the Lord. We don't, we don't ever win. The second thing, and this is, this is a, one of the main points, if not the main point of the whole passage, peace where there is no peace. The false prophets were saying to the, to the people in Jerusalem, you d you're good. You do not need to repent. You can do whatever you want and not fear God. They were, they were proclaiming peace. Now, in the literal sense, what they were saying is, hey, there's not going to be a war. The Babylonians aren't going to come and attack Jerusalem again. We're going to be fine. That wasn't true. The Babylonians did come and they conquered uh, 
they conquered Jerusalem during this time when Ezekiel is a prophet. But the other part of it is, is, is the hearts of the people. He's saying, hey, you know, Pete, you don't need to worry, you're good. That's not true. That's not true. And I think a, a, a good marker for us, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, is when you feel like you don't have a need for daily repentance, you probably need to check that. You probably need to check that. God will destroy their flimsy wall, which we talked about, promised peace and security. They had made a treaty with Egypt, which they thought was going to help them against the Babylonians. It didn't. They put their hope in other things. God will destroy the wall and the false prophets with it. And he says this over and over. Then you will know that I am the Lord. As God deals with the false prophets, his, his, his desire is twofold. He wants people to repent, turn to him, and he wants them to be reminded of and to understand that he is the Lord, not, not the other things, not the other, not the other people, not the gods and all the, all the little stuff that they're doing. They're worshiping these idols and doing things like that. God's purpose is to demonstrate who he is to his people. Now, things to watch for with false, false prophets. Number one, Jesus describes them as they're like wolves in sheep's clothing. They don't tend to look like false prophets. They don't wear a sign that says false prophet. You know, they don't have a blinking thing on their hat. They tend to look the way we would want them to look. Remember, the reason that we can be, we're susceptible is because we're rebellious. So they might be somebody that looks the way we think somebody we should listen to looks. Wolves in sheep's clothing. Number one, they don't, they don't look like false prophets, and we need to be aware of that. Number two, they tell you you're fine, you're good, and you don't need to repent. You don't need to repent. Verse 22, Ezekiel 13, 22. I'm going to look at that up real quick. Here's what it says. Because you disheartened the righteous with your lies when I had brought them no grief, and because you encourage the wicked not to turn from their evil ways and, and so save their lives. When somebody says to you, there's, there's no need for repentance, you know, that, then that's, that's a, that can be a false prophet. Not always, I'm not saying, you know, but, it, but it's something you, we've got to be prepared of. A third thing. Anybody that adds anything to the finished work of Jesus Christ for your salvation is a false prophet. I'm going to say it again. Anybody that adds anything to the finished work of Jesus Christ for your salvation is a false prophet. There's a lot of stuff. We say Jesus and, Jesus plus this, Jesus and. No, it's Jesus. Um, sometimes I think we're tempted to listen to part of God's truth um, and, 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 and sort of reject the other part of it. And I'm going to try to explain this. Um, if, if it doesn't make sense, I'm sure we'll hear about it. <laughs> so sometimes we, 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 we embrace the idea that 
that, that we sin, that we fall short of the glory of God. And we live in shame with that. We let that be the dominating reality of our life. Now, it is true. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That is true. I, I sin, you sin. I'm a broken person. Okay? The second half of that truth is God loved me so much that he was willing to come to the world in the flesh and die for me so that I could have a right relationship with him. Sometimes we can get, you know, you, you, it should be both things together. We do need a savior. We are sinful. In fact, I think the older I get, I'm more sinful than I could have possibly imagined 20 years ago. I'm way worse than I thought. The second half of that is, my wife is here, she's nodding. The second half of that is, I am more deeply loved than I dare ever imagine. That, that my creator understands me, loves me. And I don't mean understands me like he understands that I'm misunderstood and I had always had right motive. I don't mean it like that. He understands every part of me and knows the depth of my sin and loves me anyway. Here are some kinds of false things that we can hear. Number one, the prosperity gospel. If you follow Jesus Christ, your life is going to be awesome. You're, you know, people think that, oh, if I do this, then all the things are going to click into place. Well, here's what, I'll, here's what I will promise you. God, God will be with you. God loves you. God will walk through difficult circumstances with you. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. God will be with you, but it doesn't mean that your life is going to be easy. Every one of you in this room has stuff that you're dealing with now or have friends that are dealing with really hard things. And sometimes when bad things happen, uh, we, ask, you know, one, you know, we ask the question, did I, did, I, did I cause this? And I mean, there's some circumstances where that makes sense. But the reality of it is, Jesus didn't promise, promise us an easy life. Abundant doesn't mean easy. Jesus said, I've come have life and you might have it to the full or have it abundantly. It doesn't mean easy. And in fact, we've, uh, uh, last year we, I preached about Peter. Peter had an abundant relationship with Christ with really great highs and really deep lows. You know, he was the one that denied Jesus three times. He was also the one who walked on water. So it's abundance that God promises, not ease. And I think we just need to be prepared for that. And I think sometimes we can present things in a way that people feel misled when they start following Christ and life is still hard. And I think that's something we need to be careful about. Um, another thing you'll hear a lot, and I'm, I'm gonna, uh, we'll have a little bit of fun with this. Uh, you'll hear the phrase all the time now, is oh, I'm going to figure out what's my truth. You know, it's, you know, there's not, it's, you know, there's kind of this thing of like, well, you, I can embrace my truth. Uh, and I'll give two examples. And again, I'm not trying to pick on anybody individually here. Um, but for the young people, here's one. Troy Bolton, High School Musical 2. Now, all the young people in the room saw it. And if you're old and you haven't seen it yet, I guarantee you, your kids, your grandkids have seen it. There's a song called Bet On It in the second movie, which is hilarious because he's dancing and singing on a golf course. Uh, but listen to the lyrics. Here's what he says. 
It's no good at all to see yourself and not recognize your face. Out on my own, it's such a scary place. The answers are all inside of me. All I got to do is believe. That's a your truth kind of statement. Now, I didn't want, you know, I saw it with my kids and I didn't say it. Blasphemy, I didn't do that. I'm not asking you to do that either. But we do need to be aware that these are the cultural messages that everybody's hearing. So for, for us older folks, I have another example. Um, this was actually saying uh, at my high school baccalaureate service. Whitney Houston, the greatest love of all. Everybody, you know, everybody knows it. Um, everybody's searching for a hero. People need someone to look up to. I never found anyone who fulfilled my needs. A lonely place to be, so I learned to depend on me. A little later, because the greatest love of all is happening to me. I found the greatest love of all inside of me. The greatest love of all is easy to achieve. Learning to love yourself, it is the greatest love of all. Now, is that true? No. Here's the thing. Self-esteem, like it's good. Healthy self-esteem is something that we want. Um, And it's a good thing. But healthy self-esteem comes from understanding that you are loved by your creator. You know, they're talking about learning how to love yourself. How does Jesus define life? Love God, love your neighbor. So we want healthy self-esteem, but it doesn't begin with learning that I'm awesome and, and everything I do is okay and the answers are inside of me. They're not. That's not true. Now, again, Zac Efron is, I'm not picking on him or Whitney Houston. Just the reality of the messages that are in our culture. Here's another thing that we see. In our culture, we tend to lift up what I would call resume virtues. Resume virtues are things like uh, my degrees, uh, what job I had, what title I had, who, how many people did I oversee, how much money did I make, did I win awards? We tend to lift up resume virtues. I can promise you working with young people, their whole culture is focused on that because that's how they get into college. That's how they get to the next step of their life. So we focus a lot on resume virtues. But I believe God would have us focus on, I would call them kind of funeral virtues. You know, in the scripture, some of it, the fruit of the spirit. What kind of, are you, are you a loving person? Are you a joyful person? Are you a grateful person? Are you a gentle person? So I think we, we have to be careful to the messages that we hear in our world and understand what, what virtues are we pursuing? I would, I would hope we are really going hard after the fruit of the Spirit. How can we be certain? How do we check this? Number one, consider what friends you are surrounding yourself with. Who are you listening to? I was, uh, this has happened to me a few times in my life, uh, with my children, where I've had conversations with them about something, and we were having a conversation that was maybe something that was challenging for us as parents. Uh, and inevitably, and I'll pick on my daughter, uh, Hannah, and, and we'll say, well, you know, hey, we're concerned about this, or let's talk about this. And she'll say, well, Maggie thinks it's okay. And so Maggie was her, 
her friend. We love Maggie. Maggie was the maid of honor in her wedding. But, but like, you don't necessarily want, like, you know, my daughter who's trying to figure out her faith to go to people who are trying to figure out their faith and get their, and has their, have their advice be the, the end point. Who are you listening to? Do you have trusted friends that you can bring the really kind of hard parts of yourself to share? Can you bring that? Do you have some trusted friends you can share that with? And are they, are they like legit Bible-believing Jesus followers? A lot of times we go to friends and we get some bad advice. Who are you listening to? Second thing, and this is, this is the big one. Confirm what you are hearing when, you, when, you're going to, when you're asking for advice or trying to figure things out. Always confirm what you're hearing with Scripture. If what your friend is telling you is contradicted, contradicted by Scripture, the friend is wrong. Always run it through the lens of Scripture. Psalm 119, 105 says this, Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light for my path. Um, my garage right now is a mess. Uh, we, had, we had a host of a Young Life thing Friday morning, and they had to, I was embarrassed that they had to get stuff out of there because they were going to see what was going on. Uh, we've, we've got some, some of our kids' furniture there. We've got all kinds of stuff. Well, <laughs> about a month ago, the light bulbs burned out in my garage. And so for two or three days, anytime I needed something, I would go in there and forget that there was no light. And usually during the day, I would open the door so I could see. But if it was at night, I'm on my own. And let me just tell you, <laughs> it's not a safe place to walk around. My garage isn't. Some of yours might be. But I needed a light, so I would always have a light. And it literally, I would light my path as I made my way through my garage. Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. Everything, when we're trying to make decisions or we're trying to understand truth, everything needs to be run through the lens of Scripture. Now, the last thing, and I'll, I'll leave you with this thought, um, there is always hope in our relationship with Christ. The, again, the point of this passage was not that Ezekiel was crushing these people and just going to wipe everybody out. He, he, he literally stands against the false prophets, but the whole aim of it is for him to restore his people in Israel. There is always room for repentance. I read this earlier. I'm going to read it again. Verse 22, Because you disheartened the righteous with your lies when I had brought them no grief, and because you encouraged the wicked not to turn from their evil ways and so save their lives, therefore you will no longer see false visions or practice divination. And he says, I will save my people from your hands, and then you will know that I am the Lord. Ezekiel 37 is the famous passage where uh, they talk about the dry bones coming to life, that that's the way God can work. So there's always hope. There's always hope in the Lord. And, and, but, it, but it begins with repentance. And the thing that God, it bothered God so much about the false prophets is they were telling people, oh, no, everything's fine. You're fine. And they were doing all kinds of bad stuff. Um, they were saying, you, you have peace when there was no actual peace. So there's always hope when it comes to, to the Lord.
I'm going to leave you with this illustration. Can you put up the first picture? This is the, uh, the old RCA logo, um, which a lot of us have seen. For those of you who are younger, RCA was something called a record company. Um, and this was, their, this was their logo forever, and it was on all kinds of stuff. Well, let me tell you the story behind it. Uh, there was a man that had a dog. Uh, the dog's name was Nipper. And the man recorded his voice on a phonograph. Back then, I guess, old school phonograph, you could record yourself and you could listen to it. And so when the, when the man died, his dog, Nipper, uh, the, man, the, the dog was taken in by the, the man's brother, and the dog would go and stand by the phonograph and listen to his master's voice. You can show the picture. This is a picture of it. And that's where, I know it is cute, yeah. But the point of it is, that's where RCA got their logo. And for years, and in Great Britain, it's still referred to as, it, it's called his master's voice. And so this dog, little dog Nipper, would always want to go and sit and listen to this recording of his master's voice. Now, I want us to have the same heart. I want to have the same heart for me. That when I get up and I'm spending time with the Lord, I want to have a hunger and thirst to hear from the Lord through his word and however else he wants to reach me. Good news is, Nipper's listening to, re to a recording. You and I get the real thing. You know, but that's the posture that I believe God would want us to have, is that we're, we're eager, we're ready, we're excited to listen to the sound of our master's voice. I'm going to pray. Uh, we'll end it there, uh, and then we are going to pick up chairs. Anything else announcement-wise? No. Nope. Father, thank you for this morning, for the gift of your word. Lord, I do pray uh, that if we're listening to false things, Lord, that you would make that clear to us. Lord, we want to hear from you as we live our life. And Lord, we want, to, we want to take your direction on what we're supposed to do and who we're supposed to be and how we're supposed to live. God, I pray that you would bless these friends. Thank you again for this gift of being together. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.